<laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> My name's Onesimus. You can call me Oni for short. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a slave, as you can tell. Uh, old habits die hard. It's not easy being a slave in the first century of the Roman Empire, you know. You're born a slave, you die a slave. Life expectancy, you know, in the you know, 30s to 40s, maybe 50 if you're lucky. Oh, I always hated being a slave. Dreamt of being free. My mom used to whisper in my ears, Oni, someday you'll be free. And I thought, yeah, you know what, mom, you're right. Someday I will be free. I dreamed. It was this vision, this, this picture that kept me going through many of the hard times. You know, my master wasn't bad, though, really. He was a pretty good man. But I hated being a slave. I just wanted to be free. So I, in my mind, I came up with the plan. How to be free. There would be an opportunity when I could get away and disappear and I would go to Rome, of course, a place where you could hide. There's so many people, you know, a million people. It's, you would never find me there. So I, I, I thought and I dreamed and I, and I planned and I schemed. And finally the opportunity came. I was going down to the coast to make the usual exchange for my master, where I would bring the product, I'd receive the cash, bring it back to Colossae where we lived. And I thought, not this time. So I brought down the product. I got the cash. And then instead of going home, I jumped on a boat, and that was it. I was gone, free at last. At least I thought I was free, but I never really felt free, because like every time I, I, you know, on the boat, I, I looked around to see, is there anyone that knows me or my master or any of my friends? No, and I didn't know anyone. I was safe, but finally got to Rome and kind of went underground and worked, you know, on the, in the forum where I could for some cash, and, and I was free, but I wasn't free. I was always looking around. Is there someone who knows me? Am I really free? Am I, I mean, I don't have a, a master anymore, but I don't feel free. And the little bit of money that I had was slowly slipping away. Is this really freedom? And then I met another slave, and he talked about freedom. But he was still a slave. And I said, well, how can you talk about freedom? You're still a slave. He said, no, no, this is a different type of freedom. There's this prisoner. He's been talking to us about this freedom. And I'm like, really? How can a prisoner talk about freedom? Well, you got to hear it for yourself. So, so I went and I started listening to this guy. He would tell stories about this Jewish character, this guy with the Messiah complex in Israel, right? I mean, he claimed to be the son of God. I mean, I've heard about these kind of guys around and uh, just fantastic stories, you know, children's kind of literature legends, you know. I mean, this guy, you know, he's healing sick people and telling the waves to be silent and still. And, you know, he's casting legions of evil spirits into pigs and they're drowning themselves. I mean, just great stories. I mean, I found it very entertaining. But not very compelling, really. Just fanciful. Until he got to this point in the story in the life of this man. This wonder worker, this great teacher, this charismatic personality where he says he, as they celebrated this Jewish feast, he gets up and he puts on an apron. And he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And I thought, what kind of guy does that? A free man getting up and doing the slave's job. I, then he had my attention. I'm like, who is this guy that would 
take on the slave's role, even though he was their leader. I'm like, what? and he's the son of God, supposedly. He's, he's, he's you know, healing everyone's illness. He's even raising dead people. And there he is, washing dirty feet. I've done this job. It is a disgusting job, <laughs> washing feet. And there he is with, a, with an apron. He's, he's taking on my role. And then the story gets really weird. This Jesus of Nazareth not only washes his disciples' feet, but allows himself to be handed over to the Romans. He allows himself, it means this all-powerful God, supposedly, allows himself to be, to be arrested. And then he, he undergoes beatings. And then he dies a runaway slave's death. Crucifixion. I mean, we all know the, the C word. <laughs> I mean, we all know our, our, our masters remind us about Spartacus. You remember Spartacus? Oh, yeah, we remember Spartacus. You don't want to be Spartacus, do you? No, no, you don't want to be one of Spartacus' friends. No, I don't, because they line the road to Rome every, every hundred yards with a, with a runaway slave hanging on a crucifix. And there is this Jesus dying a runaway slave's death. And I'm like, what? kind of God would do that? And so I challenged the teacher. I said, what kind of leader is this? What kind of God is this that would give up freedom for that? Where's his power? And then he looks at me and he says, you know, Onesimus, he gave up his freedom so that you could be free. So what do you mean? I mean, he, he, he took the slave's place. He came to serve, not to be served. And he gave his life as a payment. Now, I get the idea of payment, right? Because us slaves, we, we sock away coins here and there where we can and try to raise up enough money that maybe we could purchase our freedom someday. But, but he takes on the slave's role in order that others can be freed. And he dies. But the story doesn't end there. The story ends three days later. He's, he's risen from the dead and he's walking around and he's showing people and then he ascended to heaven and, and suddenly it all comes clear in my head. I'm like, ah, the free man became a slave and, and took, took my slavery to sin so that I could be free. I still remember sitting in that room. There's the Roman prisoner. There's a Roman soldier. There's other people around listening to the story and suddenly all the pieces fell into into line in my head, and I realized, ah, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. He did die for my sins. I believe this. And suddenly in my heart, I felt like this weight was being just torn out as I just experienced this moment of freedom, of liberation, emancipation. I mean, there I was, just free that I had suddenly discovered the freedom of the soul. And it was just earth-shattering. But then in that moment, as I'm experiencing this elation, and suddenly, and, I, and of course, Tychias, who is a friend of mine, we're traveling here in a moment, but he told me, well, what happens is, Onesimus, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves into your life, and, and God's you know, present with you. And, and in that moment, as, as, I'm, as I'm enjoying the, just the freedom, and I, suddenly the, the Holy Spirit brings this conviction to my soul because I remember my master, Philemon. He had talked about this stuff. I didn't listen. I didn't care. I just wanted my own freedom. 
And suddenly I was like, oh man, I got a problem. And so I spilled my guts to this teacher. His name was Paul. I said, Paul, I got a problem. I mean, I'm, I'm free now, but I'm not free because I've really done some bad things in my life. He's like, yeah, you have done some bad things. Well, let's, oh, thanks, Paul. He's like, but let's make it right because Jesus should be able to cut through all this garbage and make it right. But he says, don't you understand? If I go back to, to Philemon, I mean, he could have me beaten. He could have me executed. He could sell me to someone else. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. But, but Paul says, no, but you got to understand that you come back to him in a different way now, Onesimus. Your brothers in Christ. You're still his slave, but, but there is a whole new ingredient in this relationship that wasn't there before. And I think Christ can reach through all this stuff in the Roman Empire and slaves and class system and all this stuff, and, and it, it brings us this unity and this community. And so, Paul says, I'm willing to stick out my neck and help you out a bit on this. I know finally. I met him because he's connected with some people I don't know in Ephesus. And I'm going to write a letter to the church in Colossae, but I'm going to also write a personal letter to Philemon. And you and Tychicus are going to go back to Colossae and you're going to make this right. So I'm on my way. Just do my last little cleanup here. I don't know how this is going to end, but it doesn't matter. Because I've got this freedom in my soul and in my heart that I just. Know that God is going to work it out. You see, my life now belongs to him, not to Philemon or some other earthly master. I'm God's slave, first and foremost. And he will carry me through whatever happens here. And this letter will be read, and I'll see what happens. But I'm on my way. So you're going to hear this letter in a moment. And you can kind of come to your own conclusions of what you would do in that situation. But I want to make it right. Christ has made me right, and I need to make this right. So cheers on you. Hopefully we'll run into each other again. <laughs>
but is now useful to you and me. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness. For perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a little while, so that you would have him back eternally, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dear brother. He is especially so to me, and even more so to you now, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. Therefore, if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Now, if he has defrauded you in, of anything or owes you anything, charge what he owes to me. I, Paul, have written this letter with my own hand. I will repay it. I could also mention that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, let me have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I was confident that you would obey, I wrote to you because I knew that you would do even more than what I am asking you to do. At the same time, also prepare a place for me to stay, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given back to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, greets you. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas, my collaborators, greet you too. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Zoe. I wanted to put a kind of a face onto this letter for you, although albeit um, a feeble attempt at it. <laughs> it's a real life situation. Like sometimes people think, yeah, the Bible all talks about all these kind of airy fairy ideas. It's hard to put it into real flesh and blood. But but the Book of Philemon is is a real life conflict situation. It's real relationships, real people, real hurts, real offense. And the question is, how does the gospel, how does Jesus actually make a difference in that? And in the first century, we have this scenario where, yeah, the slave has run away. And now I've, I acted it out from one perspective. There are other perspectives because there are holes in the story where we don't know those details. So I provided them. I've not taken away from the essential message of the book, which we will look at in detail. But there's three people essentially involved in the story that are the primary players. There is Philemon, who is the owner of the slave, who is a good man, as we're going to see here. There is his slave, Onesimus, who has somehow come to faith in Christ, and now we have the third person, the Apostle Paul, who knows these two guys. And he's acting as a mediator between the offended and the offender. And I think the book of Philemon provides us with some pictures and a template of how we can move into these difficult and sometimes messy situations. It's a picture of gospel living. And so I just want to look at the first part of it, the first seven verses, which talk about Philemon. Like, who is this guy? What's he like? Some of you may struggle with this because you're like, how could a Christian own slaves? And it, 
Paul never actually answers that question. He just, you know, he tells slave owners to treat their slaves properly in the New Testament. He doesn't address it, but it does seem that as Christianity grows, so the, the, slave, the, the issue of slaves begins to diminish because the gospel begins to push slavery out and, and, and there's this freedom. And Philemon may be a key step to, to the early church making this a, a, a key part of their, of their reality. It's like, no, we're, we're not going to keep slaves. We're going to let slaves go free. We're going to let slaves serve the Lord. And, and so this is maybe the beginning of, of changes in the church. But, but the, the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, you know, are saying, you know, let's deal with the spiritual matters first and then the other matters will work themselves out. It begins in verse 1. This letter is from Paul prisoner of Christ Jesus. He could identify himself in many ways. He usually, in other places, says, I'm an apostle. I'm called. He, he pulls out his calling card, his credentials. Here he says, I'm imprisoned because of Jesus Christ. And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-laborer. What you're going to find here in this book is that this situation doesn't just affect Philemon and Onesimus. That our relationships are like spider webs, right? It's, it's interconnected. You might think, well, I got an issue with that person, but, but there's other people involved. And he's saying, you know, Philemon, I understand as I'm writing this, Timothy's right next to me here. And as you heard at the end of the letter, also Epaphras, the prayer warrior, is, is also involved. Luke knows about this. There's a the whole horde of people that are aware of this, but we are all anticipating the best possible result in this situation. Why? Because we know what kind of guy you are, Philemon. As hard as this is, we think you can persevere and, and really show us an example of what Christ's difference Christ can make in a person's life. You see, you, you are our dear friend. That word is the word beloved. And you're also a fellow worker. And Paul doesn't throw these terms out just to everyone. You know, this is an elite group of people that he considers, yeah, you, you have served alongside of me with the gospel. And Paul was working in, in Ephesus for two years, and, and had people from all over Asia Minor would come in, and he would teach them, and they would go out, and Epaphras was one of this, and Philemon probably came in and received instruction from Paul and went back to Colossae and helped start the church and get it going there. He says, you know, you, you served alongside with me. You were on the team. Now, some of you that, you know, have good work teams, or maybe you've played in sports, or you've been on kind of different kind of committees or groups where we just have this real tightness and, and you know, esprit de corps. You know, you've, you work together well. And he, he's like, you know, here we are and we're, you know, we're co-laborers. We're, we're on the team together. You know, we, we wore the same jersey. I mean, we, you know, you, you watched my back. I watched yours. You know, you, you, you know we're, we're, in the, we're in this together, Philemon. But it's not just Philemon. It's also in verse 2. Uh, his wife, Aphia, who he calls our sister, his son, Archippus, who is a fellow soldier, in the book to Colossians, he'll say, Archippus, keep, don't, don't you know, finish the, the work that the Lord has given you to do, Archippus. Don't stop serving the Lord. And so that's what he'll say in the book of, of Colossae. But here, he's like, yeah, and also Aphia, your wife, Archippus, your son, and the church that meets in your house. You know, we don't like to air our dirty laundry in front of the church. Let's be honest, right? No, that's just a family matter. We don't, we don't bring that to the other people. But he's like, you know, this is, a, this is actually a big family matter. You're the center of it, Philemon. And, and on the other side is this slave Onesimus. And here I am in the middle. And all the people around the outside of the church. And this affects all of everyone. So I'm writing to all of you. Tychius 
is the man who carries these letters back, and Onesimus is with him. So you can imagine Tychius and Onesimus have returned to Colossae. Everyone's like, oh, there he is. There's the slave. There's Oni. Oni, Oni. You know, he's, he's a troublemaker. He's a, you know, he's a route. He's caused issues. He's hurt people in this church. And there they are coming back, Tychius, who has the respect of the community, and, and Onesimus, and these letters. And so everyone's sitting there wondering, what is going on here? And they're reading these letters, and here they are listening. And, and you know, the whole church... Now, we want you to, to help and to pray through this situation with Philemon, with Onesimus, with Aphia, with Archippus, who probably were hurt in this situation as well. But first and foremost, is here's the kind of character that Philemon was. He says in verse 4, oh, sorry, grace, verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Standard greeting in most of the New Testament letters. You know, obviously, what we've received from God is grace and that brings peace to our souls. It is an allusion also to the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. It doesn't mean that he was always praying for Philemon. But in his normal prayer routine, he was thankful for Philemon. Other people he wasn't thankful for. He prayed, you know, Lord, help them, you know, deliver them, you know, free them from this bondage. I mean, you know, his prayer list was significant. But then there was this group of people who's like, no, as I think about them, they bring thanksgiving to my heart. As I think about other people, I'm like, yeah, they got needs and, you know, I'm, I'm burdened for them. I'm worried for their sinfulness. I'm, you know, but, but here he's like, I'm, I'm thankful. Why is he thankful? Because in verse 5, I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll find that these two things go together. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you join this family. And that faith fosters this love that you didn't have before. And in the first century, it was huge. Because you tended to identify with your class. With the people, you know, if you're a business person, it was with the business people. If you were an aristocrat, it was with the aristocrats. If you were a slave, it was with slaves. Women with women. Men with men. I mean, it was, you know, Jews with Jews. You know, Scythians with Scythians. You know, Greeks with Greeks. You know, Parthians with Parthians. I mean, every, you kind of had your own little groups everywhere. And suddenly the gospel of Jesus Christ cuts through all that and brings all these various groups together into one body, the church. It was scandalous. Because sometimes the, the aristocrats, the businessmen, the noblemen would, would serve everyone. And you're like, you don't do that in the Roman culture. But Christ had changed their whole perspective. Faith in the Lord Jesus produces love for the saints. If you hear someone that professes faith in Jesus but is like very unloving in their behavior, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be uh, an accurate reflection of what New Testament would say is, in fact, faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you yourself have struggled at times to love Christians. I have. I have some of the greatest grace for people that are hurting, but sometimes self-righteous, critical, judgmental Christians are really hard to love because they don't really reflect this. And in the church, God brings us together in Jesus Christ so that we can love each other. 
Now, sometimes love is tough. Let's get it, right? As parents, you all understand that. Some of you and children, you've, you've received some of that tough love. I mean, a, a loving parent does put boundaries in place and helps their children to make good choices and to learn the path of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And that means saying no to certain things, saying yes to certain things. And that's, that's life with the Lord. But it's built on a platform and a highway of love. And, and, that, and you enter that highway by faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's like, I, we know of your faith, and we know how that faith translates into love, and, and you have this, this pattern in your life. Is that pattern in your life today? I have faith, which is, expresses itself in love towards the saints. God does call us to be a little bit nepotistic in the church. I mean, we love the community because God loves the community, but he just says, you are to look after each other in the church. Especially, Galatians 6 says, especially to the family of faith. You know, do good to all people, but especially the family of faith. Yeah, you, you have an obligation to look after each other as, as the body of Christ. Philemon was one of those guys. Love for the saints. He says in verse 6, I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. This is a difficult verse. Your translation, maybe you have a Bible in front of you, is maybe different because it's really hard to translate it. It can be translated different ways. The net has chosen this way, but it says, you know, you have this faith, we share this faith, and, and I'm just praying that, you, that you, that faith would deepen as you just understand the implications of, of what Christ has done for you and how that affects your relationship with others. Some of you maybe have encountered that. As you came to faith in Christ, uh, you discovered God's freedom, and then you realized, oh, in this freedom, I also need to forgive the people that have hurt me in my past. And that may not mean that you establish an ongoing relationship with that person, but it just means that you forgive them. In certain cases, I would say don't have an ongoing relationship with someone maybe who has abused or hurt you, but you can release them. You can, you can say, Lord, I give them to you. I forgive them, and they will be accountable to you someday for what they've done, but I'm not going to carry that bitterness any longer. And, and you release it, right? That's the implications of the gospel. As you understand what Christ has done for you, it gives you the freedom to do that. Someone has ripped you off, taken advantage of you. And God says, you need to let it go. And so you let it go and say, Lord, you, will, you, will, you keep a perfect accounting of everyone's life and you will hold them accountable. I forgive them and I give them to you to, to deal with that. And he said, you're the, you're the just judge. You're the perfect judge. And, and so you, you, you release that. And, and you, you know, as you grow in Christ, this is what happens. The deepness of the understanding of every blessing that comes in Christ helps you as you navigate your own journey of growth. Not simple or easy, but a blessing nonetheless. When you can give thanks to God for everything in Christ Jesus. And some of you know that, that that's really hard, right? Thanks, Lord, for taking us through that cancer journey. That was great. Thanks for the financial hardship, Lord. That was, that was wonderful that we just, you know, ate lentils for a month. You know what I mean? You know, all these things where you're like, ah, oh, thanks, Lord, but, you know, I didn't make it into that course, and I had to take this, you know. But, but you realize that, that ultimately God's hand was guiding you through that process, and, and, and his character growth in your life was more important to him than you getting what you wanted in that moment. And you can be thankful. I'm praying that this faith will help you to get that deeper understanding of the blessing. 
because I'm about to ask you, and this is, I'm, I'm adding this little, you know, paraphrase in here. I'm about to ask you for something real hard on this mess, so I'm just bracing you for this. Get ready. And it, I mean, I mean, Philemon, Onesimus is sitting there. I mean, everyone knows what's going on here. So he's like, you know, Paul's just setting him up. He's, he's like, you're a really good guy. You got faith, you got love. You, uh, you've been growing in your faith and I'm praying that you just get, get to understand this more and more. And he's like, in verse seven, he says, I've had great joy and encouragement because of your love. And embedded in that is, I want to keep having joy and encouragement because of your love. And I'm about to throw you out in front of the wolves here because in your heart you're going to be challenged to do something that maybe is really difficult to do, Philemon. But you have given me joint encouragement, and I think you will give me joint encouragement even as you deal with this difficult situation. The pressure from other slave owners would be huge on Philemon. Make an example of this guy so that the whole community of Colossae and every slave knows when you do this, it is not good. They would want you to have a deterring effect on every slave. So have them beaten, have, you know, confine them to, to horrible living quarters or sell them to a worse slave owner so that you know, he eventually gets you know, worked to death or whatever. I mean, they, they would want him to do something because this is the whole fabric and social structure of the Roman Empire is built on this. But the Apostle Paul's like, but the gospel is even greater than that. I've had great joint encouragement because of your love. For the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. The word refreshing describes a Rome, uh, an army that would stop for a break. You know, when you'd stop and take out your canteens and take off your boots and, you know, to get a little rest in. It's the word that Jesus uses in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Same word. You have provided this refreshment to the hearts of the saints. The word heart there is not the normal word for heart in the Greek. It's actually the word that describes the, the viscera or the internal organs. It's sort of that, the deep emotional reality of life. It's like you have really actually hit people where, where, where it really counts. You have provided this refreshment to the inner soul of people. And he ends and he says, you're my brother. Some of you know what it means to be refreshed. And some of you are refreshers. We went to visit our friends in Ireland. Bryce and Carolyn. I met Bryce 30 years ago almost at a camp. We were serving together, single men. And just really developed a bond. We loved talking about the Lord and sharing and counseling kids. We, you know, we were doing all sorts of stuff together. As a young pastor here in Lloydminster, I decided I was going to support Bryce because he was going as a missionary to Ireland. So um, the church at the time didn't have a lot of missions going on. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to give part of my, to help missions. And so I, you know, I, I began to support him with my meager salary. I, I invested in his ministry every month. And we developed this friendship. We both got married. We both had kids. We began to, he'd come back to, to do his to dip, deputation and we'd stay at our house. And we developed this friendship. So we, we go to Ireland to, to help him at this camp. They asked us to come out. Um, we arrived on a Friday. So you understand, eight days before we arrived, Carolyn's dad passed away. He, would, he was sick. He, she, they knew he was, he was close, but they didn't know when it would happen. Well, eight days before we arrived, he passed away. The week that we arrived, the Tuesday, they had the funeral. And on Friday afternoon, they drove into the city of Cork to pick us up and take us to their house. 
Not an ideal time to host guests, is it? Right? You've just gone, you know, you've just gone through the death of, of your dad. You've just had this huge funeral, all the family, uh, you know, and they're trying to plan a camp in the midst of all this. And then these guests from Canada show up, and they they fill every corner of your house. There is a family of six. We're a family of six. Boom. Houses in Ireland are not as big as the houses in Canada. I'm fully prepared to to buy as many meals as I need to. Because I just am like, you know what, maybe this is like, and I don't care, like I'm happy to do that. They don't let me do that because they've already stocked the fridge. They've got a plan for meals. I get up in the morning and I'm, you know, I'm a drug addict. I need to have caffeine in the morning. So I'm in a desk, especially after flying and losing the time change. I'm in rough shape. Bryce gets up and he's, he's making me Americanos. Americanos! It was flat whites. I mean, these awesome coffees. Best coffee, you know, I drank in Ireland was right in his kitchen. They refreshed us. In the moment of weakness and vulnerability and hurt and grief, they're going out of their ways to look after me and my family. Refreshing. When I think of Philemon, I think of my friend Bryce and his wife, Carolyn. But I think God wants some of you to be refreshers. To have homes that are open and loving. That have guest rooms set aside just for people that need it coming through town. That love to just put on extra things, you know, little bowls full of M&Ms, whatever it is, just to, to bless people that come into your homes. Maybe you've never tried it, but I would challenge you that there is a blessing there for you if you would open yourself up to doing that. He's a guy with a big heart and a big love. But even that will be tested in the situation that he's about to be dealing with. But Paul has basically built him up to this point to say, I know the kind of guy you are. And God has placed in your heart this deep love, and I think you can handle this situation, Philemon, as hard as it's going to be. The pressures that you're going to feel on the outside, but here within the body of Christ, this guy is no longer the runaway slave. He is a brother in Christ, and we have to deal with it now on that level, Philemon. But before we get to that, he's just laid the foundation to say, you know what, you... You know, you and your wife, the sister, dear sister, your son of a hardworking in, in the gospel ministry, we are going to move through this with God's help. And that is the key, people. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings us into fellowship and community with each other. And that relationship is a spiritual relationship which finds practical expression in, in everyday life. And we should have this capacity to forgive each other, to bear with each other, to, to extend grace to each other, to support each other. God gives us this renewed love for each other. Our faith does express itself practically through love for others, especially within the family of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change us and to help us handle the challenging situations in our life. We have a bunch of sinful people that have saved, been saved by Jesus Christ, and yet we, we, we don't eradicate all our sin immediately. So we still step on each other's toes and elbow each other, you know, once in a while. And, and this is the reality of life in the church. But Jesus and the gospel enables us to navigate it and to demonstrate to the world that there is a resource that we have that they don't have. The Holy Spirit 
Jesus Christ, God's love working in and through us to help each other in life. And so we'll look a little more about Onesimus in a couple weeks. But I just leave it with you. Read through the book. This tiny little letter has a lot of lessons for us practically on how we can live out the gospel in our lives this week. Would you, team, would you come up and, and um, prepare to lead us in the closing song? And We are part of this body. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're, you're kind of a guest looking out from the outside, but God invites you to be a part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to do that today, you can. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a call for us to say, how does that truth of the gospel really practically express itself in love in my life? And am I a refresher? Does my actions bring joy and encouragement to others? And I hope if we all were refreshers, can you imagine what an awesome place this would be? I mean, it's awesome already, but it would be even greater awesome, right? Because we would be living out the gospel on just the highest level possible. Lord, help us to be so impacted by what you've done for us that it flows out just so naturally in our relationships, in our actions towards others, in new life and in the communities in which we live. May the faith that we have just become practical as we put it into action in our marriages with our kids, at our workplaces in every place in which we interact, and especially here at the church, Lord. May that love grow in this body, we pray this in Jesus' name.